Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me as we kick off a new year with our first podcast of 2022. We are at the canteen listening to the weekly sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This Sunday, Pastor Blake kicked off a new series that's going to take us through the spring called After God's Own Heart. It's a study of the life of David, and one we're really looking forward to here. This Sunday, we kicked it off with a look at the calling and anointing of David as king from 1 Samuel 16. So let's listen in as Pastor Blake brings the message. Hey, I want to encourage you to find 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's going to be in the Old Testament, not very far through there. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 16, whether it's your first time to Christ community this morning or your thousandth, we all get to start in the same place today. It's a new year. It's a new series. It's a new passage of scripture. Um, we're going en- to join Jesus by engaging with what he did in the life of a man and a king named David. Uh, I promise to you that this will be my shortest sermon of the year to date. <clears throat> Outside of Jesus, right? Outside of Jesus in the Scripture, there is no life that is written about more or that is written about in more detail than David's. Uh, There's no person in Scripture, uh, in addition, who gets this description. He was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. So we're going to talk a lot about hearts this spring. Uh, our physical heart, the heart inside of your chest, beats 100,000 times every day. It pumps 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Uh, and that blood, that, that 2,000 gallons of blood, travels through about 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside of your body. That's enough to circle the globe twice. All right, so th- there's something incredible about your heart and what it does inside of your body. The heart is working to create this needed consistency in your blood pressure. It brings life to your body through, through blood. And a healthy heart is the thing that keeps you moving, right? By moving throughout your, your body, um, moving blood throughout your body. Our spiritual hearts, right? They, they do a lot of the same things. A healthy heart, a heart that is after God's own heart, creates this needed consistency in our lives. It, it brings life to us. And in a healthy heart, it keeps us going. It keeps us joining Jesus and going out to make disciples that love God, love people, and love community, right? A healthy heart is the thing that keeps us on mission. And that reality causes this quote to, to pack some punch. Max Licato said, you change your life by changing your heart. You change your life by changing your heart. And so um, with that thought, right, we believe here at Christ Community that Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to change your life, and and as a result, he wants to change your heart again and again and again, making it more like his. And David's life, because it's written about in such detail, gives us this incredible snapshot, this this fuller picture of what it looks like when the Lord begins to do that, when he really begins to change your heart. So we're going to jump into the first of what's going to be 12 sermons. This will take us all the way to Easter. And this first one, we're simply calling a heart, heart that is seen heart that is seen. So 
If you would, and if you found 1 Samuel 16, join me as we read through the first 13 verses. We'll have it on the screen as well. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord answered, Take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you're to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed, and he went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. And then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep, Samuel told Jesse. Send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. And then the Lord said, Anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that when the Spirit helps us to understand your word, it is the very thing that changes our hearts. We pray that that would happen. Thank you, Lord, for leading us. Change us today in your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a problem with our hearts, and that's that we're blind to our own sinful hearts. We have blind spots. Blind spots are typically things we think about as it relates to our cars and when we're driving, right? Did you know that in America, there are around 800,000 accidents every year that are a result of cars being in your blind spot? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you can't see them in the mirror? 300 people a year on average die. Now, people got together and they said, we should do something about this. And so now more and more cars are being built with this blind spot detection system, right? Your car beeps at you or sometimes now like that even controls your steering wheel so that you don't have these accidents because you can't see the cars and you're, bl- I mean, why would you not want one of those on your car? It's like built-in protection, right? It's easy. We want people to tell us about our blind spots when it comes to us driving down the road in our cars. But for some reason, some reason we're much slower to accept people telling us about the blind spots in our hearts. We don't invite that. Like if somebody said, hey, I've got, I've got this system that you can put into your life that's always going to help you to know the blind spots in your heart, the sin that's sitting there that's really going to come back to bite you, 
be like, ah, I'm not sure I want to let you in. I'm not sure I want to let you see that. And that's, that's actually really ironic because I think if we kind of took a poll, right, if we just asked the question, well, who in here wants to be a, a good person? Who wants to live life the right way? I think most everybody would be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I, I want to pursue that. We want to be good people. We, we want to do the right thing. In fact, I would assume that it's one of the reasons you're here today, right? Like, I want to get off on the right foot this year. I want, I want to give more of myself to the Lord this year. There's a reason, right, that David in this passage is being anointed as the next king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16. And it was because the current king, Saul, had messed up back in 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read an account where King Saul is, is in the midst of a battle with the Philistines. He's, he's kind of preparing. He's getting ready. His troops were in a really bad spot. And in fact, they were in such a bad spot, and they were losing faith in Saul's ability to leave, and they were beginning to desert him. And so Saul is, is waiting to take action to lead them into battle because Samuel had given him instructions from the Lord to wait where he was for seven days until Samuel could come and offer a sacrifice and give him further instructions from the Lord, right? If you want to be obedient to the Lord, if you want to, if you want to fight this battle the way the Lord wants you to fight it, wait for seven days, I'll come, I'll make a sacrifice, and the Lord will tell us what to do. Samuel's not there, and he's not there, and he's not there. So Saul is getting anxious. He, he waits the seven days. The troops are getting restless, and when there's, there's no sign of Samuel, and he just can't wait any longer, he takes matters into his own hands. He offers the sacrifice himself. It was a blind spot for Saul. His need to, to be followed and to be trusted by his troops, his need to take action outweighed his ability to do what God had said, to, to do the right thing. So just as Saul's finishing the sacrifice in 1 Samuel 13, Samuel walks up and he says, what have you done? What have you done? Well, Saul defends what he does, and then Samuel explains the error. In verses 13 and 14, Samuel said to Saul, you've been foolish. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Oh, so close, Saul. So close, yet so far away. And what's this? Wait, what? Saul, Samuel, did you just say there's somebody else? Like, I just started being king. There's, there's someone else that the Lord has already seen, that he's already selected. Saul's blind spot. His inability to see his own sin was, was coming back to bite him. See, we're willing to let sin remain in our hearts if we feel like no one else is going to see it. The same thing that was true for Saul is true of us. We're almost always blind to the consequences of not doing what the Lord commands, of being obedient. And Saul, even though Samuel was, was telling him that he'd already lost his throne, he still has no ability to see all the heartache and grief, the consequences that would come from his choice to disobey what the Lord had told him to do, to simply wait for Samuel so that Samuel could make the sacrifice. Isn't that true so often in our lives that, that we want to be obedient, we want to do the right thing, we want to, to be good people, but so often our obedience to the Lord, right, 
Our obedience to the Lord is just lacking. We can't make it, we can't make it happen on our own. We don't see the consequences of those, those small disobediences. We cut corners on our homework assignment, not realizing the long-term consequence of that. We hand our kids devices with no limits, not seeing the long-term consequences of that. We don't see the consequences of living out our faith lives by following our own hearts, right? How, could, how bad could that be? Just follow your heart is the advice that we often give to people or get from others. But we don't see the consequences of following our hearts instead of God's. We don't see the consequences of not creating consistent rhythms for our kids' spiritual lives. We don't see the consequences of looking lustfully at people that aren't our spouse, no matter the medium for that content. We don't see the consequences of numbing out on the weekends with alcohol. We don't see the consequences of losing ourselves to gain the approval of others. We don't see the consequences of maybe taking on another monthly payment for something we can't afford to buy outright. Right? There's all these little decisions, and you're like, Blake, there's a lot of little things in there that, that like, I just make those decisions because I think it's best in the moment. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do better for me. I'm trying to do better for my kids. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm trying to take action and do good things. And even inside of those good things, I make bad choices that have consequences later. That's the situation that we're talking about. We keep hitting our heads on consequences like these because we are willing to let sin remain in our hearts if we feel like no one will see it. Even worse is when we're blind to those little sin pockets in our hearts because we don't like people to tell us about them. That's what Saul did. And it cost him the kingdom. And it brings us to this early moment, the first time that we're introduced to David in the Scripture. The first time we meet this man after God's own heart. God, in his sovereignty, sends Samuel. He sends Samuel, just like he sent Gigi's parents, right? Just like he sends us. He sends Samuel to the one that he's already selected, to the one that he has already seen, to a heart that God already knows. 1 Samuel 16.1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. This word selected when in the original language, it literally means that he has seen, he has already seen a king from Jesse's sons. See, the chapter starts with, with Samuel still grieving Saul's mistake and, and the loss of him as king. And God asks Samuel, how long are you going to mourn? It shows us, right, the humanity of Samuel, that Samuel cared about Saul. He cared about the sin that Saul was allowing to remain in his heart. Just a little, little side note, right? As we start a new year, we should really take note when other brothers and sisters in Christ are grieving the sin in our lives more than we are. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever had one of those situations where someone comes to you and, and they're, they're bothered by the sin in your life, sometimes more than you are? It should be a warning to us when our brothers and sisters in Christ come to us that we're walking in a blind spot. And so, as Samuel is trying to stop mourning and grieving, he, he, he goes, as the Lord has said. He's a little mopey. He's a little fearful, as we read in verse 2, but he goes. And as soon as the first son strolls out, Samuel is ready to anoint him. Got to be Eliab. Look at that guy. Woo! Firstborn. 
all dark and handsome, he's the man. He is the one. Looks like a winner. Looks like a king. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or his stature, because I've rejected him. I can't help but wonder, right? I can't help but wonder if somewhere in the back of Samuel's mind and, and maybe even the Lord's, he's like, probably, probably Samuel's, right? In Samuel's mind, he's like, man, am I about to screw this up again? Like, look what happened to Saul. <laughs> like, like, Lord, what are you doing? I don't want to keep picking the wrong guy. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. Or humans see what is visible. But the Lord sees the heart. Samuel, as he has all throughout his ministry, listens to the Lord. And so they go through seven sons, everyone who's in the room, and Samuel still hasn't seen the heart that God has seen and selected. So they get David in the room. They call him in from the fields, and the Lord tells Samuel what he sees. The one, the next king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. Chuck Swindoll writes in his book on David, here's David just a teenager. He walks into the house still smelling like sheep, and all of a sudden an old man hobbles over and pours oil on his head. It drips down his hair and drops on his neck. Josephus, the historian, says that Samuel the aged whispered in the ear the meaning of the symbol. You'll be the next king. You'll be the next king. Can you imagine? Teens in the room, right? David is a teen. If you're a teen in the room, can you imagine someone from the White House coming to your house unannounced, asking for you specifically, and then whispering in your ear, you're going to be the next president. Say what? But it's bigger than that. Could you imagine someone coming up and whispering in your ear, you're going to be the next person to go and reach an unreached people group. You're going to be the next CEO of your company. You're going to be the next principal of your school. Can you imagine? Others have suggested, and, and I would agree with them, that the only way that, that little David's heart could have handled this big news was that God had already met with David. David's heart had been being prepared by God long before this moment. You see, the public anointing was the outcome of what had taken place in private between David and God long before. In other words, all along the way, God had been preparing David's heart for this moment. He'd been preparing him in time under the stars as he stayed with the sheep. He'd been preparing him in, in, the, in the time that he had to pray and to read the scrolls as he sat in these green pastures with grazing sheep all around him. In moments, intimate moments with the Lord, he'd been reassuring David's heart. He'd been reassuring him. But what was it that God saw in David's heart? What were the things that God had already been cultivating in his heart? What were those things I want to suggest a few. Some of them may begin to make sense, and then some of them may be a surprise. The first is, he saw in David a believing heart. This one may seem obvious, but it wasn't just that David believed in the good times. He believed in the low times, too. The collection of Psalms, many of which were written by David, remind us of this. Several of them are honest reflections in the face of great adversity. Perhaps Psalm 23 is, is not only the most well-known, but also the best representation of David's believing heart. 
right? Where he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David believed in the good times and the bad. God saw in David a believing heart. He also saw in David a humble heart. I mean, can you imagine stepping into this high-energy room? They've just made these sacrifices. They've just gone through all, they've consecrated themselves, which means they're in nice clothes and and everything. Like, they've gone through all the brothers, and you walk in (laughs) in your sheep clothes. Take it from me, those are smelly. They're nasty. I'm not sure that my heart could handle that, right? Because on top of all those things, you realize as you step into the room that when it came to this idea of of anointing someone as king, your dad didn't even invite you. I mean, when, when I get anointed, if I'm David and I wasn't even invited, I'm like, what up? Told you! Check out my heart! That's not what David did. That's not what David did. In fact, we'll learn in later verses that David just returned to the field. You see, God saw in David a believing heart. He saw in David a humble heart. In Psalm 78, uh, a psalm that David didn't write, we actually read about his humble heart. It says, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. God saw in David a humble servant's heart, but he also saw a pure heart. In the very next verse of this psalm, verse 72, it confirms this. He says, he shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. He led people with a pure heart. And God saw that too, right? God knew that with this kind of heart, a heart that was believing in God's leadership, a heart that was humble, a heart that was pure, he could change the lives of others. I mean, he and David, they could really get some things done in this broken world. But guess what else God saw in David's heart? Guess what else? He also saw a man who instead of trusting God when he was afraid of the king of Gath, chose instead to act like an insane man. He drooled down his beard and scribbled on the city gates to avoid him because he was scared of him. Is that a believing heart? He also saw a man who would be so prideful that he felt he deserved for his men to be taken care of by a complete stranger. And when that stranger didn't take care of his men, he was ready to kill him. Is that a humble heart? He also saw a man who who would order a naked woman be brought to him. He slept with her and made arrangements to kill her husband only after he found out that she was pregnant and that people would find out. Is that a pure heart? See, we've got a conundrum on our hands here, right? Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a man after God's own heart, believing, humble, pure, and then all those things? This is a problem. Why, again, did God select David when he saw all this in his heart? You see, this verse, this verse 7, and the title of our series, After God's Own Heart, they've, it's always just suggested that, that, yeah, God sees and sends people who have hearts with good characteristics. God sends the good people. We've kept it simple, right? You can't judge a book by its cover. People are always looking at the outside of things, the appearance, and God really knows what's on the inside. And that's true. There have been some some scholars, some people way smarter than me who have helped me to see something more in this verse this week. In other words, what I'm getting ready to share isn't from me. 
Most of this is just stolen truth. This phrase, after God's own heart, some of it can get lost in translation, right? That preposition, after, can also mean according to in Hebrew. In other words, God selected David according to his heart. Not because of what was in David's heart, but because of what was in God's own heart. God selected David according to his own heart, after God's own heart. See, we just assume that heart is, is our heart, right? Or, or David's heart, but perhaps it's actually God's heart itself. And the implications of this are massive, massive. See, God sees your heart right now, every wretched corner of it. He knows all the blind spots. He knows the sin that still remains that you don't want anybody else to see or help you with. And he chooses to love you anyway. To love you anyway. He chooses to be after your heart anyway. It's still in his heart to choose you as his son or as his daughter. And he loved you by sending his own son. And Jesus who is his son, is a descendant of David who had a heart that believed even more than David's did, a heart that was even more humble than David's was, a heart that was completely pure all the time with no mistake. And that heart, the heart of Jesus, was given up in order that you could have a new heart. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This very reality happened for David. And that was unusual. Because what we read in Ezekiel is actually a prophecy about what would happen after Christ comes. But it happened for David as we read about in verse 13. Verse 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. This was unusual that the Spirit would come and rest on someone from that day forward. So then the question becomes, okay, that's how it happened for David. Samuel comes, pours oil on him, and the Spirit is on him. How do you receive a new heart? Do we need to start pouring oil on people? Is it about pouring oil on you? No. Because you see, Jesus Christ changed everything for you and I. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. Though there may be good qualities in your heart, right? Your heart, my heart, is so messed up by sin that there is no surgery you can do to repair it. There is no amount of good works, no amount of therapy, no magic prayer that can save your sinful heart. You need a heart transplant. And there's only one person, only one person who can be a donor. Jesus Christ. Romans says this message is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Today, you may be realizing that you've just spent life trying to be a really good person, and that eventually you'll get it right. You've tried to make your heart better instead of letting Jesus give you a heart transplant. 
The good news today is that God sees your sinful heart, every wretched corner, and he sent his son Jesus so that you might receive a new one. And you receive it by simply confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believing in that heart. Believing in your heart that he died for your sins and is alive again. You're going to have an opportunity to to confess that and to believe that here in just a few minutes. But there's some other good news for those of us who have already made that decision that we need to wrestle with today. You see, God sees your sinful heart and he sent his son Jesus so you might receive a new one. And in the exact same way, he wants to send you too. You see, in all the hoopla around David, we forget that there's other hearts in the story. And that includes Samuel's. Remember, he's still grieving Saul. He's scared to death that Saul is going to kill him for anointing a new king. And the elders, right, that he meets when he gets to Bethlehem want to know in trembling fear, are you coming in peace? Why, why were they doing that? Well, it's probably because they were aware of what he did in chapter 15 when he cut King Agag into pieces to do what Saul did not do. And so they're scared to death of him, right? Samuel is in this really weird place. There is some real stuff, some trauma going on in Samuel's heart too. But on that day, God sent Samuel to anoint David because God had been working on both of their hearts. It's an incredible picture of how God works in this world. He's changing the heart of those he saves and he's changing the heart of those he sends. See, God wants to do the same thing in your life. God wants to send you to people he has already been working on so that you can join him in making a disciple who would love God, love people, and love community. He wants to use you to share with others that God loved them so much to save their wretched hearts and give them new ones. He invites you to join him in this chase, this pursuit after people's hearts. So all throughout this spring, and as we, as we go through the life of David, and we see how he's changing our hearts, we want to invite you as a church to be on pursuit of other people's hearts. We want to invite you to fill in a really important blank in your life. Now, here's the, the, the trick. This blank right, can only be filled in by God. It has to come from him. The calling has to come from him. But when he fills it in, it's going to give great clarity to your life. After heart. Who is God sending you to? Maybe God is sending you to a people group like the Longots. There are thousands of unreached people groups across our world that are waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ to be communicated to them in their tongue and in their language. Maybe he's sending you after a specific person's heart. Like as you sit here this morning, you begin thinking about the freedom of having a new heart in Christ. Man, there is just someone who is burning in your heart and soul and mind. I wish that they knew Jesus. I'm burdened by it. And their name goes in that blank. Maybe you're after teen hearts, right? Some of you are just really burdened for, for the next generation. There's some awesome opportunities coming up this spring for you to to join people who already have that burden. Launch is happening here. You can read more about that in the new little booklet we gave you, right? Or you you can pick up on your way out. We need some more help with that this spring. Melissa and Mika, they've they've felt this burden for teen girls' hearts, and, and they're starting a new study just for girls to invite girls from outside in to hear the good news of Jesus. 
Maybe you're after a specific neighborhood's heart. Right? Like, I live in this neighborhood, and my, like, I am passionate about my neighborhood. Like, I, I just want my neighborhood to know Jesus, to shine bright in our community. Maybe you're after kids' hearts, right? We're going to need more help in community kids. And we don't want people that just want to fill spaces, although we'll have to have some, right? But we want people who are after kids' hearts, that want to see kids' hearts made new and changed by Jesus. Maybe you're after a city's heart. It could be Shelbyville. And there's going to be lots of ways to join in that. But maybe the Lord's burdened you for your hometown. Maybe the Lord's burdened you for another place. And he's laying little seeds of sending you back to plant a new church there. Maybe you're after a sports team's heart. You're coaching your kids or or you're just coaching in general. He just burdened you that, man, the people on your team are, are more than players. But they have hearts. And those hearts are are wretched and full of sin, and they need to be made new. And the only way that happens is by knowing Jesus. Whose heart are you after? Maybe you're after a group of people that are struggling with something specific. Maybe loneliness after the pandemic or depression. Maybe they're, they're struggling with addiction. I don't know. Whose heart are you after? You see, it's your turn to join Jesus. It's your turn to be sent, just as Samuel was sent to David that day. We don't want to just look at the outside appearance. We don't want to just look at the skills or perceptions or first impressions of the people around us. We want to join Jesus in seeing hearts, the good and the bad. And we want to see them in the way that Christ sees them. And we want to join him in introducing the good news that he will give them a new heart. So today, tomorrow, maybe sometime in 2022, the Lord could reveal to you that he has been preparing your heart. He's had you out in some sheep field getting stinky and smelly and all kinds of things. He's been preparing you to join him and being sent and going out to someone's heart. When he tells you, would you do two things? One is write it down. Just, just make a, a note of that, that. That's what the Lord has done. As you leave today, you can pick up one of these little books that kind of guide us through the spring. It's got a, a ton of information in it, but, but it also has a page in it, right? A, it has that big blank to fill in. Fill in the blank. Write it down. When the Lord shares that with you, would you share it with a leader here at Christ Community? Maybe it's the leader of your D group, your community group, a pastor, elder, staff member. Man, let's run at our calling together. Let's be sent together. Then what? Samuel's story gives us a quick outline of what it could look like to join Jesus in going outside. I want to describe it to you in three words. Because I think this is what you're going to feel as the Lord speaks this to your heart. Oh no. Oops. On it. Oh no. Oops. On it. You see, we see this in Samuel's story. Verse 2, Samuel asks, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Those initial moments of being sent by the Lord are filled with fear mixed with excitement. There's a desire to move forward with the uncertainty that requires faith in the God who's calling. There will always be barriers to overcome. As the Lord says, I want you to go and share the good news with you fill in the blank. There will be things to be afraid of, but God will always make a way. For Samuel, he gave the cover of an offering of sacrifice, a cow. This little plan God gave him was legit and yet entirely not the point of his trip. It's incredible. God will show the way, and it will be his way. 
Because joining Jesus requires faith in a holy God. So when you hear that initial call from the Lord, there's going to be a lot of, oh no, in your heart. But take those first steps in faith. And the first steps will likely result in a, oops. That's what happened for Samuel, right? Even as Samuel goes, he quickly falls back into to looking at the outside appearance, the easy route. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was still expecting someone like Saul who looked like a king. Who knows? Regardless, Samuel messed up. He didn't do it God's way. He was going to anoint Eliab. And the same will be true for you as you join Jesus in whatever God is sending you to. Church, we at Christ Community, we fail forward. We don't abandon who God has called us to because of our weaknesses or the barriers that the world presents. We fail forward knowing a God who never fails has ultimately called us to it. Because you see, failure ultimately pushes us to a deeper faith. And deeper faith leads to joyful obedience. A joyful obedience that says, I'm on it. Samuel took action when God said go. As soon as God said David was the one, Samuel gets the oil and he anoints him. The Spirit of the Lord comes, right? But then what's it say? I love this little note. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. You know what Ramah is for Saul? It's home. It's where his family was. There was joy in Samuel's obedience that allowed him to go home and to rest. Because he was on it. He obeyed. And the Lord blessed that. And we continue to listen for God's direction in our lives day by day. And then we obey it. We'll find that no matter how difficult the circumstances of our lives are, they will never have been filled with any more joy than when we are following the Lord's calling in our life. We finish with this story. Last month, Richard Houston, a police officer, husband, father of three girls, was shot in the line of duty while responding to a domestic dispute between a husband and a wife. He was shot in the chest by the, by the man who then turned the gun on himself. Richard's 18-year-old daughter, Shelby, spoke a few days later at his funeral. And as I share her words with you today, I would suggest to you that her words are are a picture, they're a glimpse of how desperately God is for, how desperately God is chasing after your heart. It's a picture of the incredible opportunity we have to join him in saving others. Here's what she said in front of large audience at her father's funeral. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I've heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. It's not that I don't think justice should be served, but my heart always ached for those who didn't know Jesus. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There's been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for him to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, 
I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him. Not to yell at him. Not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. A young girl, 18 years old, be after the heart of the man who shot and killed her father. How much more is the God of the universe who gave his one and only son after yours? The creator of the universe loves you and longs for your heart. Today, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to invite you to come forward, band plays, and, and take communion. As you take communion, it's a reminder and a proclamation that the body and blood of Jesus was given for you. Not simply to forgive your sin, but because he wants your heart. My question to you, as you prepare yourself to take communion, is does he have it? Does he have your heart? Today, if you're not sure that you've given your heart to Jesus, my prayer is that you would let us spend some time with you today, echoing the words of Shelby, not to scold you, not to shame you, simply to tell you about Jesus, how he sees your heart, how he sees the good and the bad and chooses to give you a new one anyway so that you can be with him forever. Today, if you need a new heart, Jesus wants to give you one. Katie and Kenny and myself will be in the back and we would love just to pray with you, to share that good news and to celebrate how Christ can give you a new heart with you today. Would you stand with us as we pray together and as we sing and as we respond to the good news that we serve a God who is after our hearts. Spirit, I pray that you would work in this place to help us catch just a glimpse of how incredible it is that the creator of the universe is pursuing our hearts. That we serve a God who is after our hearts. And Lord, as you bring that reality into each person in this room, I pray that you would give them the courage to respond to that as you're leading them. I pray that your spirit, as we begin this new year, will begin filling in the blanks of people's lives. That you would show them how you save them, but you would also show them where you're sending them. And that as the fear of, of being sent by the creator of the universe to share the good news of salvation with people becomes reality in our lives, I pray that you would give us the courage to face it day by day the courage to join you. Lord, for the hearts that are far from you, that are wretched and ugly and filled with sin, that you're drawing to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would save them today. Give them faith to trust what you say. We are no longer slaves to you when you give us a new heart. May we respond to that good news today as we sing, as we take communion, and as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond together now.
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.